Standing for our scripture lesson, we're continuing into the new year with 1 John. We're in the middle of chapter 4, 4, chapter 4, verses 13 through 17. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be, in the, to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so, as he is, so also are we in this world. Amen, dear saints. You may be seated. On this first Lord's Day of the new year, what better theme to camp on than what John brings us to by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit through this little epistle called First John, and that is that God is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you that God is love. <clears throat> thank you that you don't say in your holy book that God is justice or God is righteousness which you are, of course, and those are just as commensurate with your love. But you actually identify yourself with that phrase, God is love. And Jesus Christ is the personification of perfect love, embodied and given to us. In the incarnation, but also sacramentally in the supper, and also charismatically in the preaching of the word of God, we thank you for this great love we have in Jesus. So we pray... In his name, amen. So as I was busy studying this sermon, I kept being brought back to the very last words of our scripture lesson. That's at the end of verse 17. If you notice those, Elder Craig just read them. As he, Christ is, so also are we in this world. That could almost go unnoticed. That's a remarkable thing. We're going to actually talk about that a little bit. It certainly hits on the love of God. The fact that God is love and that God has given us love is certainly put to the acid test in this world because we know in ourselves as fallen sinners we're hardly lovely. We also know that God never chose or elected, predestined any of us based on anything in us whatsoever because there was nothing good in us for him to be attracted to. He loves us because he loves us. It is his will to love us. It is his pleasure to love us. And we relish that love and enjoy it and share it with the church and beyond the bounds of the church with the world as well. This reality of God's love highlights the incredible nature of who God is. This is a love experienced by the church and one that is truly and honestly and sincerely made available to and offered to any and all human beings who would simply want it. Simply desire to be loved by God, God will love that soul. Since all life and even all the commandments of God come down to love, let us make it our gospel goal the Sabbath day to love the God who is love in Christ as his church. If you're you're new or visiting, we use the outline. I hope everybody got one. With this in mind, we're going to be studying 1 John 4, 13 through 17. We begin the outline here. God is love is the title. 
the doctrine, the God who is love wondrously sustains us, his church, in this fallen world. This gospel doctrine is not only taught in this sermon, but it also should engender in us an amazement, a wonder, an astonishment at how great and good and loving, kind and generous, merciful, tender and gracious God is with us fallen, lost, undeserving sinners who he has loved with every possible means. In fact, God has given us all the tools of his love, and those really are principally found in the three persons of the Holy Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all three of whom are going to be referenced very shortly in our scripture lesson today. Therefore, with joy and gladness, let us now marvel that the God who is love wondrously sustains us, his church, in this fallen world. He does this through Christ, who continues to remain perfectly united to us. Again, I find this theology extremely encouraging. I I mentioned it at the end of verse 17, that as he is, so are we in this world. He remains united to us. This verse is teaching us in the whole pericope of Scripture, too, that the love of God has been sent to us in his Son. And even after Jesus dies, rises, and ascends into heaven, according to this text, He leaves us here in essentially the same state that he, Christ, is in, in heaven today, in a very real sense. You might say, really? Yeah, really. Now, not in the sense that we don't live in a fallen world where there's sin, and we still struggle, and we're afflicted and persecuted. That's not what's meant. It means that we have this perfect covenantal relationship with God in Jesus Christ where we are as justified and perfect before the Father as the Son of God himself is. A glorious and wonderful and amazing truth. It's a state of a perfect standing and relationship with God through the pristine righteousness of the sacrificed Son of God on our behalf, which we receive by grace through imputation of God, who imputes to our account the righteousness of Christ and the justice thereof, and also the obedience of Jesus in keeping all the law on our account, and then applying that to the account of all the elect church. Beloved, This is great gospel blessing. It's a condition that the church has. It gives us a solid, absolute hope in this fallen, difficult, dark, and trying world. Absolutely all the hope we need. All the victory, all the strength, all the confidence through all the struggles that we're going to face as we have in the past, as we will in the future. Let's follow him and be led into more and more and more triumph in Christ Jesus, for his glory. Bringing all things into subjection to him, the great king. And this is particularly and practically key for us with regard to what we're going to look at now. The God who is love wondrously sustains us as church in this fallen world. He does this through Christ who continues to remain perfectly united to us even as we sin and struggle. You saw that coming. And of course, this is our big dilemma in this world here and now. Can we actually believe that Christ stays steadfastly velcroed or super glued to us even as we fail and fumble around in this world, falter and make mistakes and sin and do stupid things and sometimes wonder at ourselves for 
how doltish we can even as regenerate Christians be? Well, can we believe that? We should. We can. So long as a few things are in play. One, a continued faith in this glorious Son of God, not in ourselves, not in our works or the law or the mores of society or culture or the gospels of the world, which are all false, or the doctrines of demons and all the other false hopes that are engendered upon us. We can indeed, can we exhibit the fruits of this that show forth the evidence of it? i.e. that continued faith, that desire to remain faithful in the covenant, Lord's Day to Lord's Day, to hear the gospel preached, to feast on Jesus Sunday to Sunday, the feast day to the feast day, to be worshipers of God in and through Jesus Christ as his holy church. Other criteria will not suffice, not works, not professions, not claims to of religious insight or knowledge, or knowledge of the Bible even. None of those things account. Only Jesus Christ himself matters. There is one other obvious, most important, and completely complementary of these earlier statements, proof of our regeneration. That has been the theme of 1 John, especially chapter 4 which we're almost finished with, that is love, love for God, the three persons through the God-man first and foremost who ushers us into the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, love for the Holy Church, the body of Christ, and through her love for the fallen world, even unregenerate sinners, which we also were conceived as as well. Love is at the heart of our scripture lesson for today, so with joy let's take a look at it now. Verses 13 through 17, chapter 4. And observe with me how the God who is love lifts our lives above every deadly foe. This, I think, is the amazement of today's text, that our Father raises us up over all our lethal enemies, and all of these are encapsulated in the fearful antagonist mentioned in verse 17, the day of judgment. Anybody with any sense would fear the day of judgment if it wasn't for Jesus. Remember, it's down here and not up there in heaven where the battles rage. So let us delight in discovering together how the God who is love lifts our lives above every deadly foe. First, through the grace of the Holy Trinity, verses 13 and 14. By this we know that we abide in him, that's God referenced earlier, and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Are these two opening verses not splendid and glorious? in how they introduce us to the three members of the Holy Trinity, the Spirit, the Father, and the Son. And what is the antecedent, or what came before this verse? Well, verse 13, the glories thereof. Is it not again the love of God, quote there, perfected in us? Verse 12, excuse me, indeed it is. The love of God perfected in us. What we in the true church have, dears, and which is so precious, is assurance. Assurance of God's love. And this glorious, wonderful, blessed assurance takes two basic forms. Both are mentioned here. 
First, the inward subjective testimony of the Holy Spirit, verse 13, whereby we sense and know and believe that we are the children of God based on the work and word of the Holy Spirit. And secondly, the historical objective testimony of eyewitnesses, verse 14, the historical objectivity of the glorious gospel truth and message. Now, both of these are necessary for us so that we can successfully ward off all the assaults of doubt and fear that come upon us in this dark and dangerous world. Have any of you ever queried over your state before God, wondered about it, thought about it, and thought, what about me? Where am I with regard to God? If you have, and you've been honest, and you've looked inside a little bit, you have learned very clearly that your goodness and your works offered you no comfort at all. None. Not against the day of judgment, not against the holy God, not against your own conscience. But your faith, your unfeigned, sincere, real, simple faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your God-given faithfulness to be faithful in the covenant of his church where the gospel is preached and the sacraments are partaken of and prayer is made and the life of the church lives in fellowship and love. That has supplied you ample consolation of heart and soul. And notice here is also the very last expression here in verse 14. Jesus is the Savior of the world. You know, that phrase comes out several times in the Gospel accounts, and it's right here. Savior of the world. He is the only Savior of the world, and any and all who wish for him may have him and all of his salvation and all the benefits of his covenant in the church. How the God who is love lifts our lives above every deadly foe through the grace of the Holy Trinity and through the comforts of divine affection, verses 15 and 16. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Now these two verses gloriously weave together confession of faith in Christ, abiding in God, and love, especially the fact that God is love. What more comfort could we need than that? We are given great consolation of heart here, dear saints. We may absolutely, absolutely and objectively know our standing before God by whether or not we, quote, confess that Jesus is the Son of God, verse 15a. Now, a little while ago, Elder Craig led us nicely in the Nicene Creed. He even asked us, what do you believe? And many of you, perhaps all of you, from the heart were able to affirm you believe in God, the one God, in Jesus Christ, and the Holy Spirit. And that is key. It is that confession of faith whereby you may absolutely and objectively know your standing. And then if you do make that confession with integrity and sincerity, and also if you throw in good doctrine and teaching and instruction and availability of a good church, then also you come to know and believe the love that God has for you, verse 16a. 
because you're going to be told of that love, Lord's Day to Lord's Day. You're going to see it in the Supper of the Lord. You're going to see that glorious fellowship of the saints and the love of the people for each other. And the result of this in the golden chain of divine affection is our knowing that, quote, God is love, and that whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. Verse 16b. So God, love, and us all end up abiding in each other in sort of a glorious reflection of the Holy Trinity themselves, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God, love, and us. And we form one body, the body of Christ, the Holy Church. How the God who is love lifts us, our lives above every deadly foe, through the grace of the Holy Trinity, the comfort of divine affection, and finally through the assurance of atoned for forgiveness, verse 17. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. Now the the words that follow are just amazing. Um, I'm saving that for next week. That sermon is really exciting. But we, we also have a lot here just in this verse 17. Is there anything better than the assurance of atoned for forgiveness? For sins that have been paid for, remitted, pacified, propitiated, expunged, removed forever, cleansed away? When that's the case, we may boldly have confidence for the day of judgment. You know that no well-taught, reformed Christian filled with the Holy Spirit, should ever fear the day of judgment. We do fear God and we fear sin. Those are the only two things we fear in this world. But not the day of judgment. Our sins have been borne for us by the great Lamb of God, the sacrifice, Jesus Christ himself. He has removed them from us forever and ever. Not just our past sins, our present sins, but our future sins as well. This is a glorious and wonderful truth. On top of that, this verse 17b, which I've already alluded to a couple of times, continues to intrigue us. Because Jesus became like us, except for sin, we become like him, even now in this world. That's remarkable, isn't it? This is an important part of the Christmas incarnation story, which we've been celebrating in these days. This teaching is inherent in those marvelous words, as he is, so also are we in this world. There's a sense in which even he has something we will never have, and that are the scars of crucifixion, his hands, feet, and side. That will always remind the Father, the Holy Spirit, Son of God and His deity and all the church in heaven and the angels too, what it took to redeem fallen sinners. The eternal state will still see that glorious fact. He has something that we don't, but we have with Him the perfection of love, and that is confidence in Christ. There's, that is the perfection of love, confidence in Christ. 
And with this confidence, we can and do face and stare down the most fearsome specters in this world. Be it cancer, disease, heartache, loss, death, hell, damnation, the day of judgment, doesn't matter. All of them are taken down. The sins of redeemed Christian churchmen have been judged on the cross of Christ. He bore them for us. May we ever give God glorious praise. What a God of love. That's the, the title of our sermon, God is Love. Let's do a little more application this morning and consider together why regenerate Christians credibly, C-R-E-D-I-B-L-Y, credibly attest or say that God is love. Now, credibly means with integrity or honor. The word credibly means that when we say it, it has meaning to it, real meaning, solid meaning. You know, there are a lot of people, some religious and some not, who blithely go about proclaiming that God is love. And they usually, I, don't, I can't really, I don't know their hearts, but it seems to me most of the time it's just this sort of blithe, cheap, God is love talk that applies to everyone universally, as if God covenantally loves everybody the exact same way, which is just not true. We could argue that God loves creationally all of his creation in a creational way, and that's legitimate. But there's a lot of talk about God being loved that just is incredible. And frankly, intelligent pagans and unbelievers laugh at it. They know better. They know that's a joke. There's no reality to it. Even they understand that. But the statement is still true that God is love. And we, because we know the inner workings of this amazing machinery, can actually say it with credibility and believe it as well and proclaim it with reality because we know that we are sinners deserving none of this love, deserving the wrath of God, and yet because of God's grace receiving the love of God in Jesus Christ. And so we know, yeah, that's true. God is love in a very real and dramatic and absolute and glorious sense. Hence, let us better understand today, together, why regenerate Christians credibly attest that God is love. First, because we know this personally, historically, and through revelation. And you know, I'm going to stick by the order I gave you there, too. Personally, historically, and through or via revelation. And the reason I do this is because unless we experience the grace and love of God in Jesus Christ by faith, none of this really means anything to us. It's just water off a duck's back. We're just playing religious games. We might be fooling ourselves or somebody else, but we're not fooling God. This has to be experienced. And of course, God is the one that does it. He takes the full initiative in this. We don't even want it. We want nothing to do with it. We run from God. We don't want him. But he comes after us. Once we do experience it, then the historicity of the gospel the objective truthfulness of the claims of the gospel, the resurrection of Jesus, his death, his ascension, his life, his teaching, his miracles, 
his incarnation, all the prophecies, everything the Holy Scripture teaches about him, then all of them become meaningful to us. We all of a sudden value that. We cannot know that God is love unless we also have tasted and seen that God is good. Psalm 34, verse 8a. And once the Holy Spirit does that blessed work of regeneration on our dead, lost, God-hating, rebellious, hard-hearted, wicked, vile, polluted, wretched souls. By the way, you know one of the best Christmas songs out there is The Grinch. Describes the human heart better than any theology you'll ever want to read. Uh, it's, have you ever heard the Grinch? Anybody heard the Grinch? Uh, you know what I'm saying. It's true. Hard-hearted, God-hating souls. Work of regeneration. Then we truly appreciate all these glories. We relish the Bible. We eat it up. We delight in the Word of God written. The Word of God preached. The Word of God incarnate. The Logos of God, Jesus Christ, the one to whom all things are always coming, through whom God created the world, the Word of God, the second person. This is a beautiful and glorious thing. This three-pronged assurance, i.e. experience, history, revelation, aims directly at the three persons of the Holy Trinity, through whom we experience the most wondrous sense of freedom, truth, and fullness. There's, you know that at base, all human beings created in the image of God really do want liberty, confidence, meaning, fulfillment. Everybody, there's a sense in which we all do. But this may only be found rightly in Jesus Christ. Everything else that people use is a substitute, and it doesn't work. And it's nothing but vanity. And it will fade away. It will be removed. We're going to see that later. The one who does the will of God abides forever, but the world is passing away. Why regenerate Christians credibly attest that God is love? Because we know this personally, historically, and through revelation. And because we behold this truth in Jesus, even as we are in this world. Can you believe that? We behold this truth in Jesus? In a little while, we're going to be holding, a lot of us, pieces of bread and cups, little cups of wine. And behold, in a very tangible, real sense, sacramentally, the body and blood of Christ. Part of this divine equation here reminds us that we're joined to the triune true Godhead through the God-man, Jesus Christ, the one true and only mediator between the holy and righteous God and us hopelessly lost in ourselves sinners. 1 Timothy 2.5 One of the remarkable things of today's text is the stress alluded to several times on our becoming like our Redeemer, even as... We traverse another year down here if the Lord gives us another 364 plus 13 hours or so to live. 
364 days plus those hours. If we traverse this globe, this sod called earth that God made, that he is conforming more and more into the glorious new heavens and new earth that Jesus Christ inaugurated upon his resurrection from the dead, even though that's hard for us to see and sometimes in our belligerence we won't believe, but it's true. Like Thomas, who would not believe unless he saw and touched the wounds, these things are true nonetheless. One of the reasons this whole issue of becoming like him and he's like us is so significant is because we're to always look to Christ Jesus for all of our hope and our needs. This is brought out here in these verses, especially in verses 15 and 17, but the book of Hebrews very clearly does the same in chapter 12, verse 2, where the author wrote, Look to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the Father's right hand, the throne of God. As long as we gaze upon Jesus Christ, dear saints, by faith, today, this year, the rest of our lives, we are safe. And I have this to say to you too. God loves every single one of you who are by his grace alone in his son, Jesus Christ, by faith and in his church by covenant. Let us continue this year to put all our trust in Christ's precious blood and glory in his triumphant resurrection. Beloved, the doctrine that God is love is really beautiful, isn't it? It's said it two times in this fourth chapter of 1 John. It's a beautiful truth. And for all of you who know and believe in Jesus, you also know that God is love. Let's pray. Father, thank you that God is love, that you have made yourself known that way and clothe yourself in love in your son Jesus who you gave to us we bless you for who he is we have no hope in ourselves in our righteousness which doesn't exist in our goodness which is pure illusion in anything noble in us aside from Christ which doesn't exist we thank you that you are love and that you have given us the very best of everything in Jesus who is love. We pray in his name. Amen.